0: who collectively have covered and talked about more than 50-plus years of Eagles football. Kick off your day with Birds 365.
2: Good morning, Eagles Nation. Appreciate you streaming in with us. Magamac here on Birds 365. Dozen days and counting until Super Bowl 57. And don't kid yourself over the next three, four, five, six, seven, eight days. Oh, it'll go slow. Uh, y- you want the Super Bowl here ASAP. Not happening. It's a full two weeks. You got to wait. It should be worth the wait by the time we get to uh, next Sunday in Arizona. And John McMullen and I will be here each and every single Monday to Friday to talk you right up to the big game. Hi, Johnny Mack, we did a lot of analyzing yesterday of the Eagles win over the 49ers and their run through the playoffs to get here uh, on the precipice of another Super Bowl appearance, this time against their former chief, Andy Reid, who is now chief in Kansas City. Um and I, I talked about this last night on my WIP show, and and I just want to broach it early here in this show today, because it does bother me some. The whole respect, disrespect thing, it's overplayed, it's over-talked about, it, it, it's based in some truth and some roots here, but uh, just people beat it to death. But I I got to at least acknowledge this. The people that are now looking back on Sunday's game against the 49ers and saying, you know, the referees just didn't want us to win. The the Eagles were were uh vaulted into the Super Bowl because of the imbalance and the penalty calls and that game. There wasn't one call in that game where I said, Oof, Eagles got a break here. Yeah, the whole Devontae Smith non-fumble thing, but that was uh that was on the 49ers for not being able to uh ferret it out quickly enough and call a timeout and maybe get the call overturned. The, there were a lot more penalties called on the San Francisco 49ers for one reason and one reason only. They committed a lot more penalties than the Philadelphia Eagles did. Uh is am I forgetting things? Maybe I'm getting old. Does this happen nah. all the time or does this stand out to you? Why would people uh, even go
3: there? Well, number one, we're a hundred percent. First of all, the disrespect thing, both ways. By the way, because I'm so tired of hearing the disrespect of uh, Nick Sirianni not being a finalist or Hassan Reddick. I mean, can we just stipulate everybody's disrespected and move on? All right, that's kind you know of, I'm to like that your, point.
2: Kind of like your stance yesterday on the Eagles have beaten nobody.
3: Yeah, exactly. They,
2: they beat I mean, people I, into nobody's Is what they do. It, it,
3: it, it, exactly right. That's how I phrased it, uh, and I said, "Yeah, I like that one." So I'm going to so give myself I. a gold <laughs> But um, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, when it comes to a you, you, you've known me long enough now, Jody. I do. I never complain about officiating. Never. And sometimes they make bad calls. They're human beings. Yeah, you're talking about the. Devontae Smith receptive perfect example. You didn't catch it. All right. And and that's part of the problem uh with replay, and they didn't get the 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 angle quick enough for San Francisco to see it. But that's where you sort of use some savvy as a coach and say, all right, let me call a timeout here. This is the NFC championship game. This isn't week two. All right. You know, let me call a timeout. I don't use my timeouts anyway. I'm gonna get 17 delay of game calls. Um <laughs> So you might as well burn the timeout and see what happens and give people some time to look at it, and they probably would have gotten it right. So I put that all 100% on Kyle Shanahan, not even his people, 100% on Kyle Shanahan because you could have stopped the game and given everybody a chance and realized, hey, this is a pretty big spot. Let's try to see if he really caught this thing. Um, So from that aspect, you know, yeah, it was a bad break, but again, your head coach can do something about it. Um, from the penalty standpoint, it, and this is my problem, I think a lot of people, they watch the game. I'm not saying they don't watch the game, and obviously it's emotional for the fan bases and win or lose. And Eagles fans are going to say, oh, those are all good calls, and 49ers are going to say they're all bad calls. But I think everybody grabs this. I'll show it. They grab the box score after the game. They see the number of penalties, and they see the disparity. And they forget the context of the game. There was incredible frustration from San Francisco at the end. They started doing things. They started doing things. Then there were big spots on the big drive when they tied it up 7-7. You know, all their penalties came on third or fourth down to extend drives. But you looked at the plays. And 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 you know, I mean that's how the NFL calls calls games. They weren't egregious, you yep. know. There's always ticky tack when it comes to um you know illegal contact. Half of the time I can't stand this stuff, but it is what it is. That's how they call the game now. That's why I say everything's slanted towards the offense. Then you go forward to the Boston Scott face mask, another uh when they went ahead twenty one seven. That's not a face mask. What are they gonna do? You, you you got the guy dead to rights. you stopped him four yards behind the line of scrimmage, and you put you grab a space mask right, right out in the open. I, I, I mean what what are they supposed to do? It's sort of like Joseph Asai in Cincinnati. I hate the call. I hate the spot. I hate it's a penalty. yeah, wasn't even debatable I, 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 you might not like the rule. But it's a penalty. And I talk about the over-legislation of this game all the time. But clearly, San Francisco was frustrated. Anybody who looks at that game and says, oh, San Francisco would have been in it if not for the officials. I mean, come on. They got destroyed. This isn't like Kansas City, Cincinnati, where it legitimately impacted the game. A good call, by the way. Legitimately impacted the game. And, Oh, by the way, it would have impacted the game the other way. Don't anybody flip that around and say they're affecting the game just because you want Cincinnati to win or you don't? You want it? It works both ways. If you blow the call, if it's a non call of an obvious penalty, you're affecting the game as an sure. official. So they have a very difficult job. But anybody who looked at Philadelphia, San Francisco, and said, Oh boy, it If it wasn't for the officials, San Francisco would have had a shot. They got blown off the field. I mean, they were destroyed on both sides of the line of scrimmage. What are you watching?
2: And to me that was a little bit of disrespect they a, a, a minority of people uh talking about the game after the fact including a couple of 49er players um just were they were frustrated your your point about frustration caused the penalties I agree with you there and frustration after the fact caused people to say some stupid stuff which was a little disrespectful for the Eagles. All right, so we got the disrespect that in a way. Now we can just continue to talk about the football that was played on Sunday and will be played a couple of Sundays down the road between the Eagles and the Chiefs. And, yes, it has already begun, and, you know, it's going to build up for 12 days. Andy Reid against the Philadelphia Eagles. And I, I am a unapologetic Andy Reid fan. I thought his era here in Philadelphia had never been done before. never been seen before. It ended when it needed to end. Uh, Every era has to run its course. And Andy's did here in Philadelphia. Andy kind of picked it up and ran with it in Kansas City and continued to show he's a Hall of Fame level coach. But I've never understand the, here's that word again, disrespect for Andy Reid. We get it. The Eagles did not win a Super Bowl in the decade and a half that Andy Reid was here. That was unfortunate. It was a shortcoming, but you got to step back and take a look at the 20,000-foot uh, picture. Damn, the Eagles were good while Andy Reid was the coach here. And I still don't quite understand the disdain for Andy Reid by a portion. And that's all it is, is a portion. It's a fairly small portion, but it's there of the people who think that Andy Reid should never win another football game and think that somehow he stiffed the Eagles in the Philadelphia region. Oh, do you want to speculate? you want to play Dr. Phil for me here, uh, Johnny Mac, as to why a percentage of the Eagle fans just, when Andy Reid left town, couldn't get out of town fast and never wanted his name to be uttered again here in town. Well, it's going to be uttered a lot for the next 12 days. What is it about a portion of Eagle Nation that just doesn't like Andy Reid and never will again?
3: Um, I I think it's uh I think it's you talked about a portion. I think this portion. I think this is a generational thing. I I think uh, younger fans were to be bluntly spoiled by Andy Reid. Ironically, <laughs> you know, they don't understand this organization's history before pre-andy reed now dick Vermeil as well you had the uh run there and ray rhodes you know, you know wasn't uh egregious by any stretch of the imagination but for a lot of years this team was really bad this organization was really bad um and they didn't live through it so All they know is Andy Reid and NFC championship games. And we're always in this position and this and that. And, you know, the foundation of everything the Eagles are was built with Andy Reid and still directs back to Andy Reid, building on both sides of the football. Um, You know, Howie Roseman talks about it. Every, every time he talked about it, when he drafted Cam Jerkins and everybody was yelling at him, how could you take a luxury pick? Um, and they, and you know, everybody wants skill position players and occasionally they draft them, but every time how he drafts an offensive or defensive lineman and everybody gets upset because they wanted the skill position player and he defaults to, that's what we do. That's what we do. That's how we build this football team. He learned that from Andy Reed. Um, that's where he got it from. Um, and that's where this organization, when they get in a pickle and they go away from what they learned, Chip Kelly, um, not you know, Chip had some good moments as well early in his tenure, but they got away from their sort of core philosophy as an organization. It didn't work out well when they're trying to get Adam Gases of the world and the Ben McAdoo's of the world. Luckily, they couldn't get them. Uh, And then they call up Andy Reid. What the hell should we do? And they bring in Doug Peterson, and all of a sudden they got a Super Bowl. Um, Everything they do still relates back to what Andy Reid taught this organization from 1999 moving forward. And, yeah, the people that don't respect Andy Reid in this city, I'm sorry, but they don't know what they're talking about. This is one of the greatest coaches of all time. And he is the main reason. He is the foundation why the Eagles have turned in to one of the best organizations in the NFL in this century. And they have the, all the championship games. Um, now this will be the third Super Bowl. Um, this kind of stuff didn't happen. You know, you go back from what 1960 to Dick Vermeil. And this was nothing. No NFC, no division championships, no playoff uh, uh, appearances, nothing. Just disgraceful football for almost, you know, 15, 16, 17 years. And the people that lived through that kind of, I think, have a better understanding that it wasn't always like this. And now we know, I mean, Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl and, I, I joked at the time. I re- remember in Minneapolis talking to people, all right, lifetime dispensation card for Doug Peterson. It didn't last a lifetime. It didn't la- People started bitching because the expectations are so out of whack. And the expectations all started with Andy Reid and all the success he had.
2: And then, oh, between between Dick Vermeil and Andy Reid. That yeah, was the Buddy Ryan era. And, yeah, they made the playoffs three out of five years. Uh, Buddy Ryan and I each have the same number of playoff wins. That would be zero. Uh, but that, that era wasn't all that great either. But Andy took the team to a uh, new level. And one of the guys who I think was definitely um, – in the way that he thinks about football, and the way that he acts about football, and the organizational core values that that and he had influence on, was Howie Roseman, and we're all singing Howie's praises as well. We should. His last twelve months are as good as any executive I could ever think of, ever, ever. With all the moves that he made to put the Eagles in the position that they're in right now, and you talked about it yesterday it starts in the trenches. That was an Andy Reid way of thinking from the day he showed up here in Philadelphia and they got away from it a little bit. You're right. When Chip was here, but they got back to it as soon as Chip was uh, out the door. And that has been a tenant of Howie Roseman. And it's the reason why the Eagles are a two point favorite in the Super Bowl. They have the better offensive line between they and Kansas city. For me, they have the better defensive line. Some people may argue that. I think it's it's just not accurate, but they're better. They're the favorite in this game for one reason one reason only. They're better in the trenches, and that's how Andy Reid put together football teams for the year. That's how Howie Roseman has been putting the football teams together since he got back into the power chair and has been named the executive of the year. I got to run this one thing by. Eddie Kratz is joining us coming up in the next five minutes. Um, had uh, my pal Jeff Knox from inside the Eagles last night on my WIP show, and he said if the Eagles win in two weeks, it will be the official entry into Canton for Howie Roseman. That he thinks if Howie gets his second Super Bowl in five years, that that will put him over the top and lock him in as a Hall of Fame individual because he's won two Super Bowls in five years. I was kind of taken aback by that. I hadn't even thought about it. We we've talked about Kelsey for years and you and I certainly in our year plus here on birds, Three Sixty Five this season, I said, you know, we got to have that same conversation about Lane Johnson. We're having about Travis Kelsey, uh, Jason Kelsey. He too looks like a hall of fame player to me. Is Howie Rosen going to make the hall of fame?
3: Um, I, I, first of all, they just started putting executives in a hall of fame. So there's, you know, there's a backlog, uh, for guys that have to go in. Um, I would, I would just stand, I I would just say, you know, he's one of the best executives in his era, but remember, I mean, who was the first bill Polian? I, I don't i don't even know i'd have to look it up
2: you know i uh, since you did uh you you want to take here, you want to make it into a quiz or you want me to just tell you the executives that have made it
3: yeah just tell me i know All i right. know there's not a lot i mean jerry's one uh, but people don't understand right. i don't count ca- i don't count jerry yeah. if you're an owner slash general manager you're, i'm talking about
2: purely executive slash yeah. jerry. you don't own a piece of the team there are a couple of owners who are also general managers like jerry jones There have been seven. That's it. Seven total executives that have gotten in. Um, A couple Cowboys, sorry to say, Eagles fans. Tech Schramm and Gil Brandt both made it. Bill Polian. um, uh, Jim Finks of the Bears.
3: Oh yeah, Jim Finks. I forgot about that. Old
2: guy who went back and and made it. Um, Bobby Bethard. George Young. And I'm missing one. Who am I missing? Brandt. Uh Shram, Polian, oh, Ron Wolf for the uh, Green Bay Packers.
3: Oh, Ron won it. Yeah, Ron. Yeah. So in. there's, there's only
2: been seven. Yeah. In the history of the National Football League, and forever there were none. You're right. They said at one point, you know, we should kind of give some credit to the people who put these teams together. I think it's a little premature right now. Uh, yeah, right? was i love to hear how we that. had.
3: So remember, you got that backlog. So you got so many guys who they're going to consider before because there's so many guys they, they didn't consider him. You know, the Carl Peterson is from Philadelphia. I mean, does he deserve, I don't know, Rich McKay, Ted Thompson. These are numbers, of, the names I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Um, you know, that would have to go in probably before. He, he's very good at his job. I mean, that's, that that. Hall of Fame, like saying executives are going to be Hall of Fame, they just, it's not the same as saying that Andy Reid's going to Hall of Fame. Bang. No questions about it. Um, No brainer. Uh, Executives are a little bit different because of how they handle things. But, and I said yesterday, I've got killed for this for years, and we got to get to our buddy Ed Kratz. I mean, how he's, when I said it before this season, I got a lot of visceral hate jody that uh howie roseman was a top 10 executive in this league lot of visceral heat now he's yeah. a no doubt about it hall of famer yeah i'm not gonna go that far
2: yeah i i was taking take a little back of that by that by jeff but uh yeah your whole howie top 10 general manager uh cut that in half top five <laughs> cut that in yeah. half i'm looking good three. on that one and yeah, yeah now, now you're in the right neighborhood. You're in the right pew. Uh, he is John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. Mac and Mac here on Birds 365. Appreciate you streaming in. While you're at it, you can hit the like button. Tell us we're doing a decent job. Uh, we do good job in booking insightful guests. We've got one coming up next. Our buddy Special K, Ed Kratz, going to jump aboard here on Birds 365.
5: Ambrosio doesn't need a special event to appreciate his customers. Jeff shows his appreciation to them every day of the year. Jeff makes sure to stock more new inventory than anyone and guarantees prices and payments that nobody can beat. There are so many reasons that thousands of customers know Jeff is the easy, friendly place to do business. More for their trades. No judgment zone for credit issues. The best, most reliable service department in the country. That's why I like Jeff, and I know you will too. Jeff will satisfy you every day. Jeff D'Ambrosio, Destination Downingtown, Owner Appreciation Event.
6: Weather forecasting is a team game.
7: We rely on each other every day, updating the models and passing along new critical information.
6: We have a team of five experienced meteorologists and a specialized weather producer, Paul. Say hi, Paul.
7: Sometimes what I see in the model, Cecily could see something different.
6: That's when we come together as a team to make our most accurate prediction. And all
7: of this backed by more than 100 AccuWeather scientists. It's a team game.
6: And we have the best team in town.
2: Welcome back, guys, here on Birds 365. Appreciate your joining us this morning, Eagle Nation. Uh, we've got you for another hour and change. Joining us is our bud from Sports Illustrated, John's running mate at SI, Ed Kratz. Um, good to see you, Mr. Kratz, and I'm going to depart in, in a place that we never really talk about as football fans. That would be the quarterback position, he says <laughs> sarcastically. Um the comparison between Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts, it's just as natural as it gets. The youngest combination of two starting quarterbacks ever. The first ever uh, African-American matchup uh, in uh, Super Bowl history. The number one and number two uh, candidates for MVP. I believe that's the way the voting's going to go when it's revealed right before the Super Bowl is played. So, so the conversation has to happen. And the other aspect of it, neither one of them is a hundred percent. If you watch them both in the playoffs, uh, Mahomes got hurt in the first playoff game and then played through it in the second. Hertz was hurt before the playoffs ever started and has tried to play his way through it these last two games. I think we can all three agree that neither one of them is at a hundred percent. Which one is being affected more by their injuries in your estimation as of
10: right now? Uh Jumping right into the quarterback thing. Did you mention the, t- the two youngest also? I think they're the yeah. two youngest.
3: Yes, the start. two youngest, yeah.
10: Yeah. Um Yeah, I listen, they have two weeks. Well, 12 days now, I guess, to get ready to play in this game. And we'll see whose uh, medical staff is better, I guess. Who's going to have the quarterback most ready to play? Don't ask Chris Maragos that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you <laughs> talked about that, the uh, trial?
3: No, um, we haven't.
10: We, uh, oh, OK. We'll get well, to that in the office. Um Yeah. I, listen, I, I think that they're both affected by it. Um, Jalen still looks like they're hesitant to kind of use him as much as they used to in the run game. They really kind of took the wraps off of him. Was it in the third quarter or the fourth quarter on that <clears throat> one touchdown drive? They had to go up twenty eight to seven. He ran the ball more uh and more effectively but you know it still looks like he's bothered by that shoulder no doubt and i didn't get a chance to see mahomes in that that afc game much because we were busy after the eagles win obviously um but he won right 23 20 looked like he hobbled around the times i glimpsed the television there was a time where he was rolling and he kind of hopped hopped around so i don't know hobbled
2: around at 300 yards and two touchdown passes Uh yeah yeah he was
10: so hobbled yeah, and the Eagles didn't really need Hurts to do a whole lot offensively. I mean, he did enough, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think they're both hurting and they're both managing it, and, and we'll see how it goes after two weeks of treatment and rest and healing and all that other stuff.
3: Yeah, that, that was my take after the Eagles game, uh, Ed. I, I think we came into that game. We already know the Eagles were really good, uh, those of us who are around the team all the time. Uh, Because of the way that game unfolded, I don't think we learned much more about the Eagles because, you know, Hassan Reddick's sixth offensive play of the game for the 49ers, wrecked the game. And from that point forward, um, you know, San Francisco couldn't do anything with a fourth string quarterback. And then they lost the fourth string quarterback and it became even worse. I joked it turned into a Navy game uh with you know they couldn't throw the ball it was all running and and and, and so we didn't learn anything um what we thought was going to be a toughest the toughest test didn't turn into the toughest test because the Eagles were so physical um and so dominant particularly up front on both sides of the football um yeah. you think that's a good thing or a bad thing well, Kansas city went through the ringer against Cincinnati
10: Yeah. I I mean, how much more can we learn after 20 weeks of the season about the Eagles? I mean, we know what they are. They're a great offensive line, a great defensive line. Um, You probably wanted to see you probably wanted to learn more about Jalen Hurts and that shoulder injury. But I I think even there we saw that it's still bothering him. Uh, You know, he didn't run the ball a whole lot. So, you know, we know what the Eagles are and they're a physical team, they really took offense to the fact that the 49ers didn't think they were the physical, you know, that they were very physical and that the 49ers were really physical. And, um, you know, the disrespect that Kyle Shanahan showed. Oh, there's that word. The medic. Yeah. I'm trying to block him with a – you talk about third-string tight ends. I mean, where's Tyler Croft, their tight end, on that depth chart? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, Kyle Shanahan – that game is your fault for getting your quarterback hurt. And then you try the same thing after Josh Johnson comes in and try to block him with Jawan Jennings and bring George Kittle across the formation yeah. to block him. Reddick was shot out of a cannon and nearly planted Josh Johnson three feet deep into the link turf. He's lucky he didn't get his backup killed on that play. I mean, listen, Kyle Shanahan, say what you want about him being an offensive mastermind, but but this guy just gets his quarterbacks killed. Look at look at happen to Jimmy G. He's running the ball late, he gets hurt. Same with Trey Lance. He's gotten four quarterbacks hurt this year because all he wants to do is design these mastermind plays to try to you know show how great of a court, uh, offensive mind he is and he forgets the little things. You got to block a Redick. He's the one that's to blame for this loss. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, all right. so <laughs> sorry to get Now up. we get to talk about
2: Nick Sirianni against Andy Reid. Uh he circ uh coached circles around uh, the 49ers head coach last week and the guy who made just win coach of the year, Brian Dope Dable the week before that. Is this gonna be a clean sweep? Can can Nick Sirianni <laughs> outcoach Andy Reid in the Super Bowl?
10: I don't know. I mean, that to me was some one of the un- untalked about things going into the title game was the Sirianni versus Shanahan matchup. You know, Shanahan all that has all this experience of the big game, was in the NFC title game. Last year, I mean, we really haven't seen Nick win too many big games. I mean, obviously he beat the Giants, like you said, and then now the 49ers. So, yeah, I mean, sure, why not? I mean, he's got a good staff around him, just like Andy Reid does. I mean, this this is probably the best matchup you could have hoped for as the season went on, where these two teams playing on the biggest stage because of that coaching matchup with Andy Reid, the former 14-year coach in Philly. Uh, the Kelsey brothers, the, the quarterbacks, uh, just so many storylines with this one. Yeah, I, I it, think. Yeah, I, I say why not? Look, Sirianni has proven that he can beat these name coaches. So yeah, sure. Why not knock off Andy Reid along the way here and win another Super Bowl? This
3: disrespect this uh, is the theme of the show. Ed Kratz, Nick Sirianni is five and zero against the Coach of the Year finalist. Five <laughs> and zero. Three and zero against Brian Dayball is probably going to win it, and I think he would be seventy. You know, if they played that game seventy times,
10: uh, that's just beyond um, me that he, he he's going to win the coach of the year. Really, I mean, I, I, I don't. Well, I it.
3: think I, mean, I think he's done a great job. By the way, Brian Dayball with what what he had, so it's it's always a sliding scale. Nick has the luxury of he's got the best roster in the NFL, so. In in a lot of ways, this matchup, Ed, and we're going to have a lot of time to talk about it. We're going to try to get you on next week as well, obviously, but might as well start here. The Eagles, you know, I'm a little surprised they're favorites. I don't know if that's... um has to do with the injury to Patrick Mahomes because I thought Kansas City would be the favorite in this game and it was early there was a lot of fluctuation it was a pick 'em, then it was plus one Kansas City or whatever it was minus one actually and then it went to Eagles direction um, but the Eagles have the better roster so I mean Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the world no question about it um, even hobbled um and I think a lot of people boil it down to quarterback versus quarterback. And why we playing? If it's just quarterback versus quarterback, all right, let's give it to Patrick Mahomes. But it's not. And, and the Eagles are so well-rounded, so deep, they've proven they can win multiple ways. Very few teams. We always talk about identities in this league. The Eagles don't really have an identity because it more of sun game day. That's what I love about Shane Steichen. Yeah. You you know from talking to Shane, Shane's going to take advantage. Oh, you're going to give me this. I'm going to pound the you know what out of that. Um and and the Eagles have the luxury of doing that. Is that good coaching? Good talent? What is it?
10: Yeah, I think I think it's good coaching and and you know, they're they're playing to their talent on hand strengths. I mean, that's what coaches are supposed to do. They're supposed to you know, uh, see what they have and then make their plans accordingly, not the other way around where they bring a mindset in and then try to force players into that mindset that might not fit. And, you know, you're right about the identity. We don't know week to week. I mean, they, they do it running the ball. They do it, throwing the ball. They do it with their defense. I mean, every week it seems like there's a different way for this offense to beat you. And you know, that is troublesome. If you're Spagnola for the chiefs trying to figure out how to stop this offense, um, And yeah, I, I think the coaches deserve a a lot of credit, Shane Steichen, especially for, you know, he'll tell you, he'll just run, like you said, he'll just run the same thing over and over and over. If you're not stopping it, he's going to keep running it until you adjust to it. And then once you do, you'll move on to something else. So, uh, you know, that to me is, and when you're practicing, you're practicing those things over and over. I mean, I think it was Jordan Mulata who alluded to Jeff Stoutland's uh, coaching technique is he'll run the same thing a hundred times the same technique the same drill a hundred times over doing the same thing until you're just sick of it probably as a player but you're you're practicing that technique over and over again a hundred times a day same thing he'll come back the next day and they'll work a different technique but you know he's just drilling it until it becomes so muscle memory that when you're out there you're not even thinking you're just going and doing so you know I think that coaches in their preparation deserve a lot of the homework for this. And even Jamal Singleton, you know, you could go down the line with with Singleton's running backs. You know, we see Sanders get the two touchdowns. And then the second half, it's Kenny Gainwell, Kenny Gainwell, Kenny Gainwell, and he's, he's just using Gainwell. So, you know, they have a good feel, I think, for what's going on in a game. And, and, and then they're not afraid to, you know, switch up if they have to or stay with it if it's working. So I, I give the coaches a lot of credit. Guys, let's be honest.
2: One person cost Nick Sirianni the coach of the year award this year. And his name is Howie Roseman. Cause Howie went out and made so many good acquisitions and adding talent that it was like, all right, Sirianni won 14 games, but look at all the talent he's got. Mm, so yeah. if uh, Nick has a mad on for anybody, it should be at Howie cause he cost them
10: the uh, coach of the year award. <laughs> That's true. I don't, it, I don't buy that. I don't buy that talent argument though. I mean, how many teams have good talent that don't win? I mean, It's what you do with that talent. You know, we've seen the dream team come through here, what, in 2011 or whenever that was? And what did they win? Nothing. Uh, Well, I I got to tell you before you jump in. Let let, let me question
2: you there, Ed. Uh, What's the difference between this year's team and last year's nine and eight team?
10: 14 and three, nine and eight. What's the difference? Sirianni became a better coach. Yeah, possibly. And I think Jalen Hurts became a better quarterback and he became a better quarterback. Yeah, you got A.J. Brown uh, and they upgraded the defense. Yeah, that helps. But listen, you can bring in all the talent you want, but if you don't have a scheme or a culture in place, uh, it's not going to work. I mean, Mike McCarthy could have been the coach of the year. Look at all the talent the Cowboys had. They had enough talent for everybody to think they're going to win the NFC East. I mean, it's what you do with the talent to me that matters. And, and yeah, Dayball did a good job because he's got really no talent. But Nick did a good job. Even though he has talent, there's no way – you know you just don't roll these guys out there and say, hey, you guys are talented. Go out and win a game. Buddy Ryan tried that with Randall Cunningham. Hey, just go out and make a play. It, it doesn't work that way. You have to have a scheme and a culture in place. And that this is the second year of that scheme and culture being in place. And, yeah, there were players added to it. But, yeah, you have to give Nick credit for, for doing something with it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination. I mean, I do think it helps when you have uh, the deepest roster in the NFL. Um, When you have uh, five offensive linemen who are either all pro or pro bowlers or at worst uh, pro bowl alternates because uh, the voters got it wrong. Uh, I've never seen five pro bowl level linemen. Never. Never. I've never seen it, even if you go back to the 90s Cowboys. Uh, uh, you had Stepnowski, Eric Williams, Larry Allen, Nate Newton, and I think Mark Tuane was the last one. He wasn't, he wasn't a Pro Bowl. He wasn't a Pro Bowl guy. Isaac is supposedly the worst offensive lineman on this group. He's a Pro Bowl guy. He was an alternate. He should have made the Pro Bowl. This is the best offensive line I've ever seen. Certainly since that Cowboys group way back in the day, the defense, you know, the defense, and I'm going to, I'm going to give my boy credit, JG, you know, people say the talent, Hassan Reddick was a really good player. and Jody will, will take his victory lap and deservedly so he's been preaching for this team to get him for a while, but guess what? He wasn't this good. In Arizona, he wasn't this good in Carolina through that. So it's something to, to how he's being used. Um, James Bradbury, tremendous player. I loved him. Jody loved him. Uh, Savvy is all heck. He wasn't this good. Even when he was a pro bowler with the giants, forget about last season. Um, TJ Edwards, undrafted guy to one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Reed Blankenship. Reed Blankenship from middle Tennessee state. I think how he gathered the change in his offense, they signed him as an undrafted free agent and he's out there making plays. So I think part of it is coaching, but this team is really talented too. I think that's part of it as well.
10: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the offensive line. How many first round draft picks are on that offensive line? One, right? <laughs> on such a- well, Andre Dillard, but yeah yeah i mean kelsey was a sixth rounder yeah jordan mulatto was a seventh rounder i mean again you want to talk about talent versus you know teaching and and getting these guys better i mean to me it's it's all about the coaching staff when you bring talent in like this i mean I, i don't know i mean i i don't know if it's a 50 50 split i lean more towards the teaching and the coaching of these players getting them to play well i mean how many first-round busts have we seen come through here before Nick Sirianni was the head coach? I mean, I think you got to do stuff with the talent. And I don't think you get enough credit. I think Howie gets all the credit, yeah, he did a great job. But you got to give a lot of credit to the coaches too.
2: Uh, yeah, it's a combination effort we can certainly go Yeah, I, If you want
10: to put a percentage on it, I'm leaning heavier toward the percentage of giving the coaches the credit than I am the talent, maybe like a 60-40 – Okay. 70 30 even split and i'm going opinion.
3: the other way personnel 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 i think the coaches
10: are great but
3: man you can't you can be the greatest coach in the world and you see it with guys like andy reed and bill belichick no doubt about it hall of famers you see the down years because if you don't have personnel it doesn't matter how good you are as a coach and you'll see it with nick seriani who i think is a great coach but you can't be this good every year. You know, we'll we we'll, we'll talk about it in coming months and years when the Eagles have to pay Jalen Hurts and all of a sudden it shifts and you can't go out and do the same things personnel wise. And it'll become more difficult. It, it it just is. If you don't have if you don't have personnel, doesn't matter how good you are. That's why Brian Dayball to me is that's why the coach of the year award is so interesting. I, I think I would have voted for Brian Dayball as coach of the year. And I think the Eagles could play the Giants 70 times and beat them maybe 70 times because they're that much better than the Giants and styles make bites, and the Giants just aren't, they don't match up well with the Eagles right now. But for the group that he had to get them to where he got them and winning a playoff game, I think that's impressive. I really do.
10: Well, we'll just agree to disagree there. I don't know. I, I I'm a big, you know, coaching. I mean, coaching in the NFL means more than any other sport. Oh, I agree with that. I mean, you have to be teachers and I know talent does help for sure. But even if you bring the you know the so-called good talent in, you still have to get something out of it. Um and that's what the coach's job is to do. And if your talent isn't there, then you have to coach them up like Dayball did. But uh again, you know, to me, a coach who wins games and isn't 3-5-1 and one down the stretch, uh, to me, is a better coach of the year candidate than the uh, other. All
2: right, Eddie, John and I discussed this yesterday, borderline debated this. Jalen Hurts's quote after the game about uh, people didn't, when I first came here, people didn't even want me here. Um, we kind of talked about was he referring to the organization or not? After going back and re-listening to it, and his the follow-up question thereafter, and his quoting scripture, um, there's no doubt in my mind that he was talking about the fan base and the Philadelphia media. That he wasn't talking about.
3: I I, I would tweak this, Jody. I think it was, and then uh, I think it was the fan base and Carson Wentz. That's who I think he was talking about. I want to throw that in. Oh,
2: you want to throw Carson into the mix? Yeah. All right, that's that's quite fair. Um, mm-hmm. But you and I talked a little bit, I don't even know how we got there, that the organization, because he was a second-round pick. The organization wanted him. The organization picked him. The organization gave him a chance to start in his rookie year as a second-round pick. First-round picks, Patrick Mahomes played less as a rookie and was a first-round pick than Jalen Hurts did, so it just didn't add up to me that he was pointing the finger at anyway at the organization. Was that him just verbal flexing on the Eagle fans and the members of the Philadelphia media who said, what the hell are they wasting a second-round pick on Jalen Hurts for? Was that what Jalen was trying to get at with that quote?
10: Yeah, it could have been. I mean, maybe when he talked about the organization, maybe he meant players like Carson Wentz. And I'm, there was a faction in that locker room that I'm sure – was like, you know, what are you doing here? You know, Carson Wentz is our guy. You know, there was a lot of loyalty in that locker room to Carson Wentz. Um, And even the players were, I think, surprised that the Eagles didn't really, the perception was he really wasn't helping the roster at the time because, you know, a second round pick quarterback, when you just sign your, your franchise quarterback to a big deal, isn't going to help you any. So, I think he, there might have been a faction in that locker room that he picked up on, too. He's a very smart kid, very perceptive kid. He does a lot of observation, obviously. Um, and I, I'm sure there was a faction in that locker room that, uh, you know, was surprised and probably didn't welcome him with his open arms as maybe he thought he should be. So when he says organization, I think that's kind of what he's referring to. Obviously, the front office wanted him or they wouldn't have taken him um and then the fans i mean you, you're right i mean the fans were the same way as the players like what? well no, what, they, knew. What a, they knew what a waste of a pick i mean that's what the th- thought was is what why are we doing this i mean what why are we taking a quarterback we have Carson wentz here we just signed them to a big contract whether you like them or not back then he was the guy like what are you doing you're going to upset the apple cart here by bringing in another quarterback in the second round and yeah so i think It was verbal flexing, but it was also, I think he's spot on with some of his observations. Yeah.
3: I think the organization part was, (laughs) if anything, he he knew there's a lot of revisionist history here. The Eagles brought him in to be a cost-effective backup. I mean, that's why they brought him in. And the hope was, the best case scenario there was, you know, Carson's injury history you know if he shows up in the games he plays we can spin him all three or four years down the line and maybe get a first round pick if he shows sort of that that was the mentality from the organization he's certainly not angry at the organization for bringing him in he was surprised the Eagles drafted him because everybody was surprised the Eagles drafted
2: yeah him. but John and I saw this yesterday I think it was on Twitter or maybe it was on TV he had that eagle hat pretty damn quick. Um, they they showed video of uh, Doug Peterson, and it was, remember, the COVID draft. So, Goodell is doing it from his basement. Um, so, they go to a shot of Doug Peterson sitting in a room, and he's got a grin on like the cat that ate the canary. They're drafting a quarterback. Dougie was all happy. They go to a shot of Howie at his house, and he's high-fiving his kids because he picked Jalen Hurts. And then they go back to Jalen Hurts. He's got the Eagle cap ready to go.
3: Well, they so, do that with everybody. But even, even those telling teams.
2: you tell me Jalen Hurts had 32 hats there at his uh, – Well,
3: what? First. no, what I'm saying is if the Eagles – and teams do this a lot. You you hear it in the pre-direct process. They like a player and they pretend they don't like a player. And they don't talk to him a lot. They don't show a lot of interest uh, to feign to other teams. So I think it was a surprise from that perspective in that there were other teams that really you know, dove into him and spent a lot more time with him than the Eagles. They
2: couldn't have dove into him that good if he was the 50-something pick of the draft. He's still sitting there for the Eagles to take. Well,
3: remember, again, there's a lot of revisionist history. Most people expected Jalen Hurts to be a third-round pick that year. The, you know, the Eagles uh, got a lot well, of I criticism. I guess I'm
2: going to have to take another victory lap because I said I thought Jalen Hurts could go at the end of the first round
3: yeah but it's it's not about you Jody. it's about it what, sure what hell the is NFL... here on Birds 365 it, it, with the mics it, it's, on. It's about what the NFL thinks and most people <sighs> thought he was to. Got... and the Eagles got a lot of criticism thinking not only because of uh, the the redundance of the pick and the the strangeness of the pick. And just like last year with Cam Jurgens, different reason, Eagles got a lot of criticism the luxury part of the pick. They got a lot of criticism for the spot as well. Oh, you could have got him in the third round. You could have got him in the third round if you wanted to do that. Um, So I, I there's been a lot of revisionist history on Jalen Hurts. The fan part of it, you know, I get on social media every day. Oh, I knew. Oh, I knew. I was the guy who knew. No offense, Jody, you're doing that too, but. Yeah, I do it. Do
2: I have to break out the tapes of my WIP No, show? we all do I it. I was un- on the air the night that Jalen Hurts was selected and said, quote, unquote, I thought he could have gone in the bottom of the first round. If I'm you're questioning me, you don't know, trust me. That's one thing. But no, if I need to, I could saying, provide you, I could provide you saying, with the tapes. No,
3: here's who, you're getting all upset. Like, I loved Antoine Winfield Jr. I thought he was one of the best players in the draft. I would have taken him in the first round, but I knew he wasn't in the mix to be a first-round pick. doesn't matter what I think. I'm just saying it matters. Most people in the NFL consider Jalen Hurts to be a third-round pick. It's revisionist history at this stage at, for, for NFL people to, to go up and say, oh, Jalen Hurts got, got, you know, the majority. The thought process was he got picked before, he was going to get picked and the Eagles got a lot of criticism for that. It's all I'm saying now, obviously people like certain players. I like certain players. You like certain players. I've got players, right? You've gotten players, right? I've gotten a lot of players wrong. I'm sure you've gotten a okay. lot of players wrong. Sure. The point is the Eagles got a lot of criticism for the pick. I think what Jalen was talking about was Carson Wentz, the fan base, And to a certain degree, the mentality that he was going to be a backup quarterback. But I think that third, the backup quarterback part, is the third part of the whole thing. But that's just my opinion.
10: Ed? Well, I mean, you know, we can kind of try to get to the bottom of it more whenever Jalen speaks again, whether it's this week or, you know, next week in uh, Arizona. Um, but I, I already said what I thought. I thought, you know, there was a faction in that locker room that was Carson Wentz supporters. And I think he recognized that as well. And, you know, that was part of his lumping everybody in when he felt like he, you know, people didn't want him here. And, you know, I, I remember that draft when he came out, I'm thinking he's probably the most intriguing player in the draft. I wasn't sure where he was going to go. I actually thought the Steelers were going to take him. Like two picks before the Eagles. I know that they had done a lot of homework on oh, hey, him. I, mean, I thought
2: he wasn't going to the third round. You had someone else other than the Eagles taking him in the second round. Huh, I
10: I I did. I thought I thought he was probably one of the you know, there wasn't a lot of good quarterbacks, right, in that draft that I can recall. I mean, it was a top heavy quarterback draft and then after that if you needed a quarterback i thought hertz was the next one right and he
2: was the fourth best one after the big three early burrow herbert right. and tua and then then for me it was jalen hertz and the way the nfl moves quarterback up that quarterbacks up the board yeah. that's why i said i thought he could be the bottom of the first round
10: right well that i thought that in the second round so i guess i'm saying i, I thought he was going to be a second round pick to the steelers because when it came their turn i was surprised when they took chase claypool who's not even with the steelers anymore and i know Tomlin loved hurts and if you like a player and you want to take him why they are you going to wait? They got him if-
3: in the 3rd round. That's your answer. They thought they could have got him in the 3rd round. They maybe, miscalculated. Maybe, but
10: that's shame on them then because you can't wait right. for 32 other teams. If you want a player, if you like a player that much like they I thought they did, you got to take him when you can take him. You can't wait and say, "Oh, you know, we got to wait another 32 picks before we hey, can grab
3: you, him. You know the Eagles history, right? They they talk about their love of Russell Wilson for years and years and years. All the way up to last season, he was their white whale. He was we were going to take him. We were going to take him. Yeah, they were going to take him in the third round. And somebody took him before they did. So everything's about a valuation aspect. You're right. If you love a player that much but it comes becomes much worse now, the Russell trajectory has changed but remember what he was in Seattle that would have been a great pick for anybody if they would have taken him in the first round in the first round nobody was going to take him now we can fast forward and say Jalen Hurts to Jalen Hurts today if you would have taken him top five you would have been a genius but nobody's taken him top five and anybody who says that now is a plain revisionist history that's all I'm saying that's all I'm saying. And the Eagles act like, oh, we loved Russell Wilson. We knew, we knew, we knew. Well, you didn't know enough to take him in the second round. Forget right. about the first round. Right. So and maybe, maybe that, it's that lesson learned. All
10: crap to me is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, maybe lesson learned, and that's why they took Hurts. Thinking, you know, we loved what, and, and they compared Hurts a little bit to Wilson. The Eagles did, you know, similar skill set. So maybe they thought we're not getting burned this time. We're not going yeah. to until the third round. You know, we already dodged a bullet because we thought the Steelers were probably going to take them. They didn't, so let's grab them. Let's grab them around too soon. I mean, and it worked out, and it, it worked out for them. And you know, but it
3: didn't. But that—that's part of it as well. They didn't draft Jalen Hurts to be a starting quarterback. They didn't. They didn't. They can say they did now, but they didn't. They drafted right. him to be a cost-effective backup. They had just signed Carson Wentz to the massive extension. At the time, they wanted Carson Wentz to be the quarterback, but they also knew his injury history. And they said, we need a guy who can play just in case. And we need a guy who's cheap at the backup quarterback position. See,
2: and to me, John, that's a key. And again, if I uh, will apologize ahead of time if this is braggadocious. Carson Wentz's injury history was a big part of it. It wasn't like when well, we got Carson signed and he plays sixteen games every single year. No, Carson misses time. That oh, was yeah. it wasn't just to be the backup. It was the backup to an injury prone quarterback that you have hundreds of millions of dollars invested in. That makes that pick that much more important because, yeah, you're thinking he's gonna get a chance to play. He's not just gonna sit there and hold the clipboard and just in case he's the safety net, no, he's gonna have to step in because Carson always gets hurt. And if the Eagles okay. thought that way, and that was why I was a little surprised by what Jalen said the other night that uh, it was like they were drafting him to bury him on the bench. Not really, they were drafting. I have you here just in case Carson Wentz went down with another injury.
10: And And how did that 2019 season end before that 2020 draft? Carson Wentz
1: yeah. got
10: hurt in the first five minutes of the playoffs against the Seahawks when he got hit by Clowney and they had to bring in Josh McCown, 40 year old, uh, you know, tore the tore hamstring, his hamstring and plays out there it. still yeah. gaming along, but yeah. you know, that's still fresh in their minds when the 20 to 20 draft arrives and you know, Oh hurt. yeah.
3: Carson, they made the playoffs for three consecutive seasons and Carson wasn't there for any of them because he got hurt, uh, oh. each, each year, And he started the playoff game against Seattle, obviously, but was out quickly. Um, So in hindsight, everything worked out. I guess my issue is just a revisionist history. Like everyone pretends, and either way, not everyone, but some people, you know, you have the group that says, "I knew, I knew Jalen." And I'm not talking about you, Jody. I'm talking oh, about. Right. I the didn't people. know Jalen
2: hurts was going to be this yeah. good. I liked the uh, player. I thought he could be a first round pick, yeah. MVP candidate by year three. No. Oh nobody, no, I never nobody, said that. I'm not taking nobody, that kind of credit.
3: Nobody knew that. But how he does the same thing. Like he got the same criticism this year, and I'll I'll toot my own horn. Ed can back me up on this. I had the Eagles – well, you can too, Jody. I had the Eagles taking Cam Jergens in the second round for a very long time. I had a, I had a, I had a good source on that they really liked that player, and if he was going to be there – and by the way, very similar. Most people had Cam Jergens as a third-round pick, but you never know. It's all about liking – it's all about liking a potential player, and I got told, you know, if he's there, they're going to take him, um, and they took him. And they didn't need him for this season, um, you know, barring injury, and everybody stayed healthy, and that's how it worked out. Um, long-term, it might be a great pick. and might not be a great pick. But what it was, a luxury pick. But the Eagles believe in building up front on both sides of the football, uh, and they do it all the time. They took a luxury pick with N'Kobe Dean in the third
10: round. That was a luxury pick. Andre Dillon. Um, was a luxury yeah. pick in 2019. They had Jason Peters. And that didn't work out as Dallas well. Dallas Goddard was a luxury pick in 2018. Yes. They still had Zach Ertz. I do that all, they do it the all the time. They don't all draft the a player when they need a player. They draft a player with the eye on him stepping in in two years, three years, whatever. But they don't take a player based on, hey, he's got to come in, he's got to start. How many rookies have come in and, and started for the Eagles in recent years? Not many.
2: No. And I give credit to one other guy just when, when you talked about uh, – Jurgens, I had Dane Brugler from uh the, the athletic. Um, he told me he thought that Jurgens was the best center in the draft, better than the kid that the Ravens took on the first round. I was
8: like,
2: Nobody agrees with you on that one, Dane. Everybody's got the kid that's gonna go in the first round is number one, Bruegler, no, no uh, better than number two. He actually thought he was the best center in the draft. So uh when the Eagles took them, uh, you said you thought that there was a good chance they'd take them the second round. They did. Um, I thought, hey, that might not be a bad pick. It does follow the Eagles mantra. Of, we can wait a year before or two before we got to plug these guys in. And that draft philosophy has worked very well for them over the last uh, four or five years. All right, Ed. What did the Eagles need to accomplish this week? We know what they got to do next week. They got to go out and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. But what do they got to do this week? Off day to day, straggle back into work soon enough. What do they need to do? We debate all year about how much work they put in and ease of practice and nine injuries. Looks like they're going to have all 22 starters for the Super Bowl. That's pretty damn good. What do the Eagles need to do this week?
10: I think they need to rest. They need to get treatment, and they need to watch film. You know, I think they need to stay off their feet. You know, get their legs back and then kind of slowly ramp up into, uh, you know, practice mode. That's really the most important part, I think, of this week is stick stick them with some film, make them watch film, you know, maybe go over some technique stuff again over and over. But most importantly, just rest, get treatment for your bumps and your bruises, you know, we'll see Landon Dickerson had a, had an elbow issue in that game. Maybe today, Nick Sirianni will tell us, you know, what that situation is. But again, 12 days till you play, there's no need to be out there in full pads, you know, hitting each other. I just say, take it easy, man, rest, get your treatment uh, and watch film.
3: Yeah. Especially Jalen hurts. Uh, yeah. Just rest that
10: shoulder. Um, Lane Johnson and Miles Sanders with the knee that looks better, but um, you know, there's a lot of guys, J- Jordan, a shoulder still, I don't think is a hundred percent. Now everybody's banged up this Everybody time is, is
3: everybody so. at Kratz E, uh, follow Ed on Twitter, si.com backslash NFL backslash Eagles. Uh, we got bogged down. I apologize. Uh, kept you too long, Ed, but I appreciate oh, it. And pleasure. I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this as far as, <laughs> When they do get back on the practice field in this bye we and we have uh, already, um, we have some experience with this because the Giants, uh, they had the bye leading up to that game. Mm-hmm. You remember Jalen Hurts wasn't throwing the football at all on Thursday. It was a big, uh, it was a big story. Ooh. And oh, is he taking a step back? People shouldn't worry, right? If they're resting, guys, don't worry about it. No. Is that your advice?
10: <laughs> yeah, don't don't worry. I, you know these injury reports that come out. I mean, listen, just take them with a grain of salt. Uh, you know these guys are just getting their their body back back in shape. That's all. I mean, the Big guys guy. aren't even talking. Lane Johnson talked to us after the game, first time in a couple weeks. Yeah. Hassan. Hassan. Hassan's focus, man. And, yeah, and, and he gets. He says, "I get my massages during the time you guys are here, and I got to make sure I hit those because my body's working here. for him." Yeah. it's no, No doubt. I mean, that's a lot of these guys now is they're just getting their treatment. And that's what I think this week is for mostly is getting that treatment and making sure your body's right. I mean, for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the
9: extra mile and the ones who get in early. So everyone can go home on time. There's Granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts. So you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra
1: mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is such a long season. I mean, we're over six months already
10: since training camp opened, and they're still playing. Uh, it, it's pretty remarkable. What Ed Kras is telling you, folks, is the individual who gets the most physical workout
2: this week will be the coach with his finger on the rewind button in the film room <laughs> to make sure they get uh, a good look at what the Chiefs do. You, you guys to make, you try, you
10: make sure you get your rest, too, right? You know, big yeah. week ahead next like week. Grind, so you guys got to rest grind. up, too. Grind. It's a yeah. big
3: week for Ian Book and Trey Sermon. They'll get yeah. some work. in practice. <laughs> Eddie Kratz from
2: Sports Illustrated here with us on Birds 365. All right, quickie timeout, come back. Um, Going to have a good guest in hour number two as well. Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com, former NFL scout, uh, coach, uh, just a uh, good all-around football mind. We haven't had him on since October. I didn't even realize it. It had been that long. Shame on us for uh, not punching him up. Always good when he jumps aboard chris landry is going to join us coming up in oh just about 15 minutes from now so stay here on birds 365
4: go for the beers go for the cheers go for the hit and the hits go for the scene go for the screens Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean.
5: Ambrosio doesn't need a special event to appreciate his customers. Jeff shows his appreciation to them every day of the year. Jeff makes sure to stock more new inventory than anyone and guarantees prices and payments that nobody can beat. There are so many reasons that thousands of customers know Jeff is the easy, friendly place to do business. More for their trades. No judgment zone for credit issues. The best, most reliable service department in the country. That's why I like Jeff, and I know you will too. Jeff will satisfy you every day. Jeff Ambrogio, Destination Downingtown, Owner Appreciation Event.
7: Weather
6: forecasting is a team game.
7: We rely on each other every day, updating the models and passing along new critical information.
6: We have a team of five experienced meteorologists and a specialized
7: weather producer, Paul.
6: Say hi, Paul.
7: Sometimes what I see in the model, Cecily could see something different.
6: That's when we come together as a team to make our most accurate prediction.
7: And all of this backed by more than 100 AccuWeather scientists. It's a team game.
6: And we have the best team in
7: town.
2: You got the Mac and Mac guys. That would be Jody McDonald and John McBowen here with you on Birds 365. Thanks for streaming in. Do the right thing. Hit the like button. Give us a little love uh, before you get out of here today. We still got an hour uh, left to play. Uh, I do want to follow up on one thing we talked with uh, Ed Kratz with. And shame on me. I hadn't even thought about it in the way that he, he did. And. He may well be right, but I, I just want to double-check with you because you, like Ed, were there every single day um, with the team, in the locker room, everything else. The Jalen statement the other night about some people might not have even wanted me here. Um, I didn't think it had anything to do I with think Gordon. that was
3: Carson, man. I think he was talking you, about Carson. You do, huh? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Carson did not. Uh, that, he, remember, that was he, the... Pandemic do you think, think
2: Jalen felt that like uh, much an outsider that Carson had that kind of gravitas that he could just
3: Oh, read, well, you I know, see what you're saying. There were certain guys that were tremendously loyal to Carson Wentz. I think people don't realize that now. Um, Fletcher Cox being one of them, Jason Kelsey. Uh, like, but basically the veteran players, they went through it all. They were very loyal to uh, to Jalen Hurts. I never got the feeling, what, that, what Ed was saying, uh, that they, uh, other than the natural inclination to support their guy, um, you know, they'd been, as I said, been through the ringer uh, with Carson Wentz. But I think it was more Carson Wentz specific for the reason that Carson didn't embrace him at all. Uh, you know, and it was the pandemic year. So there was that, you know, hurdle to begin with, and everything is on Zoom and the goofy nature, and they didn't spend the typical time. Like they were all in different rooms. You know, typically the quarterbacks all meet together. It probably would have been better. Um, I think it was talking more about that and 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 the fan base and the people. Um, you know, I was going. It was funny because I was looking back with during the break, and <laughs> this is why NFL.com. I, I I NFL.com. I went back to their draft uh, pro, profile on Jalen Hurts. You know who their comp for Jalen Hurts was? I don't oh. want to pick on people. You know who their comp for Jalen Hurts was? Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow. That's why you don't comp uh, players. If you're doing draft stuff, don't comp players. Uh, you're going to look silly down down the line. But, you know, I do think there's been a lot of revisionist history of, on both sides. And from Jalen's um, perspective, yeah, I mean, he, he uses it as a chip on his shoulder, and it works, man. So... Who cares? You know he 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 uses what he needs to use as fuel, and I know a lot of people point to things I've said in the past, and I'm the first to admit I never thought he'd be this good. Um, I think all honest people uh, <laughs> say that, um, and he if he uses that great, I don't I don't think he pays much attention to the media. To be honest, uh, from dealing with them. Um, I do think he pays attention to um, obviously his teammates and uh, the organization, and and some of the criticism he's he's gotten from fans in the past. I th- I do think he uses that as fuel.
2: And if guys- I, I
3: think he learned real quick. Jeff, I think he learned from Nick Saban early on. Cut the cut the media part of it out.
2: Yeah, he likes to toss that rat poison phrase around a lot. Uh, But, uh, again, I had Jeff Knox on last night, and he said uh, he had been told by a player on the Eagles that uh, just recently in the locker room, in the weight room, um, there was one of the talking head TV shows on, and they were talking about Jalen Hurts. And one of his teammates went over to turn it off, and Jalen said, no, leave that on. And he paid specific attention to who was out there. So I I don't know if I one hundred percent buy that uh, he never hears anything that's out there. I I think much like most other players, they're cognizant. They know what's going on. Oh, they're they know cognizant. it exists. They die with it I'm not. I'm not they, saying it that. isn't
3: like they're oblivious to it either. You 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 can't get away from it. I think he does a good job of, of not caring about it. Is maybe the phrase I I should use. Um, if he doesn't, um, he's he's good at pretending he does. I will say that.
2: True, uh, um, he does that quite well. I uh, Chris Landry is going to join us coming up in less than ten minutes from now, and I'm interested in finding out Chris Landry's explanation explanation on something I've asked every guest that I've had on for the last however many months about uh, on a national basis about the Kansas City Chiefs. How the hell? Travis Kelsey gets as open as he is. (laughs) It's amazing. Some of the passes that he catches and you look and you're just watching down on TV. I haven't been, I can't see cheap game. So I'm not watching him coming off the line of scrimmage. And all I know is the ball gets there and there isn't the defender within three feet of him. How can that happen when he is the number one target of the number one quarterback in the national football league? How do teams not have at least someone in the vicinity of where he is? And I think it's going to be one of the key matchups in this game, John, because uh, you and I both, you're a bigger fan, but I consider myself a fan of Gannon as well, because there are still detractors out there that boggle both our minds. But one of the points, uh, I'm not on board with Gannon 100%, about 90. Um, he loves to play his own. And if you sit in a zone against Travis Kelsey, he and Mahomes are going to find that little soft opening and they're going to comp- and they're gonna move the ball down the field. Does the Eagles zone defense against the best quarterback, tight end, pass catching duo in the National Football League scare you?
3: Uh, no, I would. I would argue the opposite when you talk about those instances where, where Kelsey's running wide open. I mean, they're more likely to happen in man coverage than zone coverage. At least if you don't have, he's running away
2: from cornerbacks.
3: Um, it, it, at least if you don't have miscommunication, look, there's always busted coverages and then it looks really bad. Um, but if you're doing your job, I mean, you're handing guys off in zones. You might he might catch the football, but if you tackle well, um, you're going to limit the damage. Um, I think one of the things you know, one of the, the biggest surprise in the Kansas City offense, we all thought what what you just said was more explainable last year and years prior because you had Tyree Kill as well, and you had right. to worry about. Tyreek I'm talking Hill. about this year, yeah. This year it's yeah, I mean, I don't know. I haven't watched enough Kansas City football to to understand. Obviously, Andy's really good at scheming people open. But I mean, that's the strength of, of, of zone. That's why so many people play this damn defense is is um you don't give up the big play if you do it right. And the Eagles have generally done it right just about better than anybody else. So I think that's kind of the reason why they play the way they play, to be honest, Jody. No,
2: I, I hope it works against the Chiefs. Travis Kelsey scares me. That's he just flat out scares me, uh, because he continues to do what he does every and even in the end zone. Now at least the touchdown pass he caught this week was a contested play. I'll give the opposition at least that but they made him work for it, but he's getting wide open touchdown pass, which makes no sense to me but we'll see how it plays out uh, coming up a couple weeks from now. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick time out here. When we return, we'll be joined by Chris Landry, former NFL scout, former NFL coach, uh, still is a uh, guy who consults for National Football League teams. He knows the game inside and out. Uh, he's going to share some insight with us on the Birds and the Chiefs, how they got to the Super Bowl and then the Super Bowl itself. Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com joins us next here on Birds 365.
5: Ambrosio doesn't need a special event to appreciate his customers. Jeff shows his appreciation to them every day of the year. Jeff makes sure to stock more new inventory than anyone and guarantees prices and payments that nobody can beat. There are so many reasons that thousands of customers know Jeff is the easy, friendly place to do business. More for their trades. No judgment zone for credit issues. The best, most reliable service department in the country. That's why I like Jeff, and I know you will too. Jeff will satisfy you every day. Jeff D'Ambrosio, Destination Downingtown, owner appreciation event.
7: Weather
6: forecasting is a team game.
7: We rely on each other every day, updating the models and passing along new critical information.
6: We have a team of five experienced meteorologists and a specialized weather
7: producer, Paul.
6: Say hi, Paul.
7: Sometimes what I see in the model, Cecily could see something different.
6: That's when we come together as a team to make our most accurate prediction.
7: And all of this backed by more than 100 AccuWeather scientists. It's a team game.
6: And we have the best team.
2: McMullen and Jody McDonald here with you on Birds 365. You got your Mac and Mac guys. We are lucky enough to have a very good guest for the next half hour with us. Uh, does a great job whenever he's joined us previously. We know he's going to do it again now. Former NFL coach, um, scout, he still uh, gives advice to NFL teams as a consultant. And his website, Landry Football, is one of the best football websites out there. Chris Landry joins us. CL, it's been a
11: couple of months. How you been? Uh, I have been doing well. N- not as good as you guys, though. have yeah. just been uh, admiring from afar and uh, been very impressed. So I know you guys have been uh, a lot of exciting things to talk about all year long. It's been a great yeah. season. And, you know, sometimes you have those seasons where it's a great regular season and, something happens in the playoffs but uh you know the Eagles look like the best team all year long and you know manage to to get over the hump at least get to the Super Bowl so I know it's yeah. been exciting for you guys
3: there's a lot to it Chris but you, you use that word admire what do you admire most about this team where do you start why do why well, do you think they became this it's
11: it's the it's the best running game I've seen I, I don't I don't know I I don't like to make comparisons too much yeah. to the past because the game changes, and but it's the best running game I've seen in a long time in this league. And it's like, for example, San Francisco has a great run game design, but this is a different – the Eagles run game is different because the to truly employ the quarterback in the run game and how they do it off the RPOs, it's – when it's run well, it is – darn near impossible to stop and it just opens up so many things so it creates a lot of matchups on the outside in the passing game where you don't need to be overly accurate to make those throws and yet Jalen Hurts has become really accurate and been on point with a lot of his throws so it creates a lot of matchups you got to pick your poison so when you go in and play this Eagles team, you got to stop the run. You don't, you can't find a way to slow down the run. You it's over. There's no chance. But then if you, you do that and you have to overcommit to do that, they can beat you other ways, but that's how you have to play it. So the run game has been extremely impressive and the pass rush, the depth of the pass rush is, is it's, it's good. As good as I've seen. And, you know, it's the best line of scrimmage team in the NFL, both sides by quite a big margin, I think. So mm-hmm. that in a nutshell is is among the things that have stood out to really impress the heck out of me all year long.
2: All right, let me go a little deeper on one of the two sides of the ball. No disrespect men to Jalen Hurts or Miles Sanders or Kenny Gainwell or Boston Scott. How much of the credit of the Eagles' run game has to go to the five across the front? We can throw Dallas Goddard in there as a heck of a blocking tight end too. How much is it the skills of the running back and Jalen Hurts' ability to run, and how much just is it? Yeah, this is the best offensive line in football. It's not even close as to who's second.
11: Oh, it's definitely slanted towards the offensive line, and the second, you know, the 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 biggest factor along with the offensive line is the scheme. So basically, as you guys know, it's 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 a run. It's a pass. It's it could be either one. It, it's based on the read. So it's the scheme and the talent on the offensive line that can execute the scheme. Starting at center, you know, with the calls and the right matchups, you, you, you're going to play an even front. You've basically got a, a big, gig, the biggest fullback uh, in the league that's lead blocking on the second level. Or you going to play an odd front. They do a really good job of adjusting and reading, obviously, uh, the backside in. It, it's the scheme and it's the talent on the offensive line that does the lion's share of the work. I'm not saying that any back could do it, but it's its pretty – the backs could be pretty fungible. you know. Now, which I think the backs don't get a lot of credit for, and what is really important is not this skill set of the backs, but the timing – and the vision and the understanding, because you've got to understand in this system, you know, you've got to be patient and you got to have vision as a back to know where to go and to hit the timing just right. And I don't think they get them probably don't get enough credit for doing that. But, yeah, if I was going to put and say, what's the biggest factor, it's those two factors and the backs have done a great job fitting into that.
3: Yeah. And, 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 Jeff Stoutland, the, the run game coordinator uh, just does a tremendous job with that scheme. And, you know, I don't know if it, you remember that play where uh, Nick Bose almost got the safety on on, yes. on Jalen hurts that San Francisco did a heck of a job and the Eagles were trying to, to run where they thought they had numbers and then they went back to that, Chris. They went back yeah. to that later in the game that kicked out Jason Kelsey to get the extra number. How much of this is just math? And the Eagles look at it and say, plus one, Jalen Hurts in the running game.
11: It, it, it's virtually all math. I mean, that's what this system is. You mentioned Jeff. Jeff, you know, has got a lot of experience too in this blocking scheme from the college level. Yeah. And, you know, he, he once worked at you know, a place where Jalen Hurts spent some time in college too. So, you know, kind of when they were bringing in a lot of the RPO stuff, Jeff, Steph, Scotland is—it's got some background and understanding of that. Everybody does in the league now. It's what's, what's changed a lot about the pro game is, a lot of people—it's about numbers. In fact, you know, Kansas City does some of that in a different way, but yeah, it is this this uh, RPO base system is it really is all about numbers and getting the right matchups and you know you've got you've got really good guys that can beat you one on one including the quarterback it's uh it's it's worked very well it's just it's very very difficult to stop when they've got all hands on deck and and uh, they they got it going and i you know they you know they it, it, it's, it's no secret or it's no uh, coincidence that, that both number one seeds get in. Now, the Eagles are the best team in the NFC all year long. Kansas City was, was, was one of the three. And I think, you know, in the end, it was Kansas City and Cincinnati in either order. Buffalo was at one point in that group, but with their injuries, particularly in the pass rush. But I think... Combine with not only being really good having that buy, week, not only get healthy, but preparation and to get your timing. I think that's huge. I think that's really huge. And um, it, look, it doesn't, it, you know, the giants, not very good. Neither was Minnesota. So you get the, you get the one seed, you get the buy and you're going to play a team that you can basically almost scrimmage against. You're in, you're in pretty good shape. And so I thought, I thought they came out and in addition to just being really good, they're just playing with a lot of confidence. They don't feel anybody can beat them. And that's a very dangerous tool to add to, you know, even a good team, a team that's maybe not as talented as they are. I think that combination has added a whole lot of chemistry, timing, confidence, in addition to a lot of matchup advantages. All right,
9: Chris,
2: there's a ton of great storylines in this matchup between Kansas City and Philadelphia. Uh, Andy Reid, Jeff Lurie, uh, the two youngest and the first time ever two African-American quarterbacks playing against each other. Kelsey versus Kelsey, uh, a two-plus decade coach against a second-year head coach in the National Football League. Let me give you one more. Who, and I know who, wor- gonna... who,
11: worked, who worked for Kansas City, by the way. Right, who, who Andy Reid said,
2: yes. "Love yes. your butt." Yeah, I'm bringing yeah. in my own guy, David Culley. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, hope you right. land on your feet. Which, of course, he did with the Chargers. Um, so again, right, tremendous storylines. One more I want to bring up because I know it's near and dear to my partner's heart: the play calling head coach versus the CEO head coach. It's Andy Reid against Nick Sirianni. Sirianni comes in within games. He says. This head coaching thing is a big deal. It takes a lot of work. Let me hand this off to my guy, Shane Steichen, and just take over everything else. Andy has never done that in two and a half decades of being a head coach. He does it for a game or two here or there to give a guy a chance to call some play so he can go get a head coaching job somewhere else. But he never truly gives up that responsibility. Will this determine the direction of head coaching in the National Football League going further? If Andy wins the head coach who still calls plays still in place. If Andy loses and it's it loses to a second year head coach, who's a CEO head coach,
11: will we see the national football league trend in that direction? Now here, here's my view on, and I do a lot of work with, with coaching staffs. It, it, it may sound cliche. You, you've got to be yourself. So here's the way I look at it. You talk about players. You, you want to utilize your players to the best of their ability. I mean, if you've got mobility, you, you wouldn't have a, a Tom Brady, you know, running around and you wouldn't want to take a mobile quarterback and keep them always in the pocket. Right. Just to use a, an obvious example, you know, you utilize players that to their strengths. So you have to properly evaluate the coach. If I'm, if Andy Reid is coaching, There's nobody better at calling plays. He better be calling plays. I mean, if I'm the owner, because he's the best at it. Now, you know, if you're a good coordinator and you can find somebody better at calling plays, that's when you want to be the CEO. Look, it's tough to do both. Absolutely. But if the best guy to call plays is the head coach, then I'm making sure that I divvy up some of the other stuff, which Andy does. So some of the game management stuff is being handled by other people to a lot. And then it's communicated to where he may make the decision and it may look like he's doing it all. The best play caller in that building better be calling plays or that's like taking, you know what? The best receiver, I'm just going to utilize him as a blocker and as a decoy. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. So to me, it depends if you're, Jimmy Johnson, or I mean, you can go through any, it. just name a coach. I can tell you what their strengths are. Play to their strengths. If Jimmy Johnson is, you know, um, he, he, he's not a – never a play caller, evaluator of talent, good motivate, do that. Andy's the best at what he does. Let him do that and then siphon up the other responsibilities elsewhere. With Nick, Nick's, a, Nick's brighties come up – in other words, what I'm saying, just because you got the title of play caller, offensive coordinator, they're not all equal. Not every quarterback's equal. Not every scout's equal. Not a, no one's equal. So what's your strength? You handle that when you become a head coach, work to your strength and hire people that are the best at handling certain things. Breaking down coverages, breaking down fronts, you know, coordinating during the week. Play calling, offensively, defensively. But if you're not doing that, you—that's the key. So that—that that doesn't answer. You're—I think you're kind of thinking, well, all right, it should be this or that. No, no, no. It okay. should be who is the best at doing it. It's like saying, well, you know, how do you, how do you, again, how do you, how do you play a, a great receiver? How do you, you know, well, you know what? We're gonna take us on Reddick, and we're gonna, we're gonna line him up and two gap him. That doesn't make any sense. You know, <laughs> it's stupid. That's all not ball what Off-ball linebacker. Arizona. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. let him rush the passer. Yeah. yeah. Well, then why would you want a head coach that is the best at doing it now? So that is different. Now I'm going to tell you, and I don't want to. I don't want to get off. You know, the problem is when the head coach has the decision. Sometimes he thinks he's better than he are than he is. Excuse me, bad English you know and i think they're getting ready to make a huge mistake in dallas cuz mike mccarthy's getting ready to call the plays he's not the best offensive <laughs> coordinator or play caller and he's bad at game management now yeah. it's going to be even worse so those that that's an example of well should he be i should be the ceo yeah he should be the ceo cuz he's not the best at calling plays he probably thinks he is and You know, and that's part of the problem. And uh, Andy's the type of guy that if he, like, loses his fastball and he still wants to coach, he's the type of guy that would hand it to somebody else uh, and and would maybe be involved in, like, helping create because he's really good with, with game planning and situations. And a lot of good play callers have done that. They just, okay, I just... I, I, I just don't want to handle the, the meetings. That's the tough part. The meetings every then I'm gonna handle play calling somewhere else, but I'll still be involved. There are different ways to do it, but if if you're the best, you do it. If you were the best, but you've lost something off your fastball and somebody's better, then that guy needs to call play. So that's my answer. And I, I'm telling you, that has been consistent through forty years of being in this league of how you should do it. Look. It's a different time. Tom Landry called every offensive play, every defensive play, every special teams play and made every draft pick for the Cowboys. <laughs> now that's, that's a different world. You yeah. did you know, but I'm just saying over time, different ways to do it guys. That's my view on it.
3: Yeah. And uh, I, I think you're right, Chris. I, I am a fan of the CEO coach, but I realize there are exceptions. If you
11: got a great like if, GO coach. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. Uh, there there are exceptions, Andy. Now I want to talk about Kyle Shanahan, because we just saw Kyle. And if by the way, if Andy's not number one when it comes to play calls, scheming, probably Kyle is, but he makes a lot of stinking mistakes when it comes to game management, Chris. Yes. And you know, you mentioned the word ego. Ego plays into this. Like a lot of guys want to call plays because it's an ego thing. And Doug Peterson, by the way, admits this. He loves calling plays. Mm -hmm. That's what he finds fun in the job. Now, I think Doug's a good coach. He's proven that uh, now over two stints here. But um, how how much do you think ego plays into it? Like Kyle's got to, If he's going to call the plays, he's got to get a game management specialist in his ear. because.
11: Egos, Delays the
3: games, all that stuff.
11: Yeah. Look, good points. Egos. Always an important part. If you don't have an ego, you, you, you don't make it into this league. You yeah. better have an ego. It needs to be a healthy ego and it needs to be in check. So regardless who it is, and, and Kyle would be in a category of, he is great at scheming, teaching the running game and making creating the right type of spacing and that's why along with a lot of talent and by the way he is in addition to that behind the scenes a lot of times people see the game and obviously people see the game but Kyle is huge in the draft room he is the guy that can see players in the league and players in the draft that are really good fits and including on the defensive side of the ball and all of that that's he is a big big part of that you know so other people are kind of doing the, the the big overall work and he's saying no 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 this this guy is the guy that's the best fit so he has a great vision for that um so again to go back what I said do that now the the whole point is not really good in certain situations and look I I didn't think they had a really good blocking scheme and i know it's tough to block philly they didn't help them. I know. I know Sunday's game was a disaster, and you know, I, I get all of that. But they weren't going to win that game with with a healthy quarterback anyway. The, the 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 margin of victory would have been different. But without a better blocking scheme, so that was a big problem. So to me, the goal is to all right. What did we do wrong? What can we do better in situations like that? What did we miss upon? I think ego's great stubbornness will kill you stubbornness will not allow you to grow so if you're a great play call it you're a great schemer but you may have missed from a blocking scheme which is not necessarily Kyle's particular strength got to rely on maybe somebody that can help you a little bit more in that to combine with your play design with better blocking scheme to allow you to maybe Deal with situations like that, and certainly game management—you got to have a better feel for that, no question. And he's taken some heats on how does he deal with certain situations. You know, everybody brings it up. He was a coordinator for Atlanta when they blew the game against the yeah. Patriots. He had a pretty decent lead against San, uh, Kansas, Kansas City, City Indiana, in the Super Bowl. Bowl. Yeah, and so, yeah, so you're you're getting a little bit of that. Who has it? A lot of people have. You know, he can overcome that. You know, but the whole—I kind of get it. Well, he's never going to win it because he's at no. He's got. He's. They, can they keep that team together? And can he improve in some of those areas? That's what you've got to do. You've got to figure things out. I've been around. You know, you guys know me. My background with Belichick and Saban. Both of those guys, I learned the most from them in that—not what they know, but what they what they know that they don't know. Meaning they recognize there's a better way to do something. I don't care if it's a better way to log tape in the film room. I mean, it's just, if somebody can do it better, they're always trying to do it better. And, you know, you can say where well, they've had success. So they you know, their, their ego doesn't require them to do it all, but you know, they teach a system but they're willing to modify their system based upon how the game has changed. Yeah, you know, and and both do that very very well. And and you know, look at Bill. I mean, Bill, Bill can take things from anybody. You know, oh. a guy like Chip Kelly who didn't yeah, have Chip, success. Yeah, Chip. I was in,
3: going to bring up Chip
11: who, who didn't who didn't have success. Yeah, you guys know this, but he could look and see. Things that he did well, well, that whole that whole up tempo offense with Brady in the later years, that was all devised from Chip and the whole I know. system. Chris, but, I was
3: just going to bring that up. I you so I, I'm so, so he glad can take the big
11: up. picture and he can pull out, boom, you yeah. know, really good at that. But he has the bigger picture, whereas Chip was really good at a couple of things wasn't good at other things. And then, so the total package is, well, he stinks. Well, he stinks in some areas and, you know, I mean, not stinks, but not as good in some areas. So I think that's the key and that's what you're talking about is I think, you know, ego's great, but stubbornness, you know, with that ego that I'm the best, I mean, man, you bet, you better be good at evaluating and a value evaluation starts with yourself. And And bear Bryant was the best bear. Bryant said, I'll never hire a head coach. I never hire a coach in my staff that doesn't know more football than he, me. People thought he was Mr. Humble and all that. He says, Why the heck would I want to hire somebody that doesn't know more about how we're going to block, how we're going to tackle, how we're going to run a scheme? Why would I want somebody? I mean, what good is he going to do? Now, in college, sometimes you hire that guy that maybe fits a category that's a great recruiter, or whatever. But you know my point. You yeah. got to read yeah. the room. You got to know the room, and you got to hire the best guys.
2: Good on, good on Belichick. We can all acknowledge he might be the greatest of all time, but he also did use the phrase. Maybe may have lost something on his fastball. He, Joe Judge, offensive coordinator. It just, just saying, uh, Bill last year didn't and, hire and, somebody and, to put and in exactly position. right. It was and, better than him at now, anything. As now, a matter of fact. And, I, and
11: it was a, it was a mess. And you better fix that. Cause you don't have Tom Brady to cover that up anymore. So you better, you better fix that and we'll see if he can fix it, but he's not going to sit there and, and be stubborn about it, you know? So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can fix it.
2: I already right, got Bill O'Brien in the house. All right, Chris, I want to tap into your memory because we were debating this a little earlier in the show uh, and you talk to teams, still consult with teams. So I have a great grasp on this. If you remember it exactly, please say so. If you say, here's what I think, please say so as well. Three years ago, draft night, Jalen Hurts selected by the Philadelphia Eagles in the second round at number 53, pick number 53. Did he go where the league thought he should go? Did he go early? Could the Eagles have waited to the third round to take him? Because some people didn't like the pick. Why are we taking this kid in the second round? What was your memory of what the league thought of Jalen Hurts draft night, uh, either rounds one, two, or three?
11: Well, Um, as you know, the general consensus might have been uh, that that they took them a little early, but remember general consensus doesn't matter because what if just one other team liked them and takes them before their third round pick? Look, I'm going to tell you, I've been through that. We all have those stories. I, I wanted to draft Curtis Martin and You know, I said, I'm going to wait one more round. And the reason is Curtis Martin at Pitt had every injury known to man. I mean, he, (laughs) he, he lived in the training room. Yeah. I mean, the son of a gun never got injured in the NFL. And I'm not going to take a running back with an injury question. And, and look, I mean, that, okay. So, and Parcells took him two picks before I could take him in the third round. I mean, it happens. You don't know. And I thought. I thought he might go late third, maybe hand to the fourth because I had a high second-round grade, but we had a medical grade I thought would drag him down and, you know, whatever. So, the point is, if you like a guy and you believe in a guy, <laughs> you better not play the game we could have got him the next round. You don't ever know that. Here's what I'd say about Jalen. This is not the question, but I think it's pertinent. Here's what I said about Jalen as a player, and here's what I think is really important to know about quarterbacks. Jalen, dad was a coach. He loved football, okay? He's an ultimate team guy. He understood the team aspect, the humility, the understanding that you're going to have bad moments and how you deal with it and how you grow from it. You saw him at Alabama. Bench in the championship game was the happiest guy for Tua and was and then moved on to Oklahoma. I've it's not just about the physical skills, it's about the mental makeup, the intangibles, and he was off the charts as a leader. How, what is the guy's capacity to learn? Very good. What is the guy's willingness to learn on a scale of one to 10, of 15? Just (laughs) love. That type of guy is a guy you can develop. You can't develop the guy that has great talent, that is satisfied, that's happy, that's not hungry. That's the thing that's made Jalen great, great talent around him. And the thing that's made it work is this system. We're going to run a system. It's going to be RPO based system. He is built, you know, love Tua. Tua can't stay healthy. You know, love other guys. And that Jalen had the the, the injury. Injuries are going to mount up, and it's not going to last forever. But that body build just is more conducive to be able to do some of this RPO stuff, running back runs. So it's not about what the league has them because they had a vision for how they were going to use them, what they were going to do. Some people thought that we took – Javon cursed too high uh, because he was an inside backer at Florida and he wasn't a really good use as a pass rusher as much. We saw him in the workouts as a really good rusher guys. We tried to trade up to get Javon. Nah. We tried to grab the five to eight to 10 to 12 to 15. We tried to trade up with the bucks. We offered offered a third round pick to the bucks to move up one spot just to make sure we got the guy and, they said, no, we're going to stay. And I said, well, you were on a clock. Who are you going to take? And they said, we're, we're taking Anthony McFarlane, Booger McFarlane. And then I'm like, oh, okay. Well, great. Good luck. Boom, my, hey. husband, <laughs> you know, my point was we wanted the guy. We don't go to the Super yeah. Bowl without him. The point was, was it too high? I don't give a flip if somebody thinks he's too The guy we wanted. So I'm glad we got him at 16. We saved our pick. But, you sure. know, hey. You know it just
3: yeah you worry, you well now it, you bring up a good point Chris and uh one of my pet peeves in in the draft and and people who who follow the draft uh they don't take into account the bit and where they're going and I always go back to 99 with Andy Reid. and I always think you know What if Tim Couch got with Andy Reid? What if Achilles Smith got Mm -hmm. with Andy Reid? And what if Donovan McNabb went to one of these bad situations? That's right. Um, How do things change? Um, You don't get finished products in the draft. People think you draft a good player or you draft a bad player. Exactly right. And so much of it is development and getting in the right system. And Jalen Hurts got in a great uh, organization which was willing to um, you know, build an offense around him when he showed. Um, I, I don't want to say that was the plan because it wasn't. They drafted him to be a cost-effective backup, but when they needed the necessity arose, they were willing to ship their plan, build around and build an offense around him. And now we know we have an you know an MVP finalist. Yeah. But when it comes to that aspect of it, development. Yeah, I I don't think people put enough stock into that. Right, development
11: of the player and development of the team around them. Yeah. You take Jalen Hurts, you take Patrick Mahomes, and you put them right now on the Houston Texans. Well, either one of those guys makes the Texans better, and and that division was so bad, maybe it makes the difference where (laughs) they win the division or competing with Jacksonville. But they're not going deep into the playoffs with either one of those superstar quarterbacks. Yeah. Either one. You know, yeah. but you put them on the Eagles, this running game with this defense. You put the Chiefs with all the talent around. I mean, you know, it's just development. You know, just um, I mean, and it's a lot of positions. So I I can remember um, at the University of Cincinnati uh, years ago, Brian Kelly, who's now coaching at LSU, was there. And there's this really good freshman that's a very good athlete. And I said, who's this kid? He says, he's an option quarterback in high school, and I'm going to make him a tight end. Travis Kelsey was the guy. Travis Kelsey was wow. Travis Kelsey was an option quarterback in high school. He was an athlete. I'm watching him in practice as a freshman. You can see this guy was just eye-hand coordination, this, and, you know, he's just a raw bone guy trying to figure out what to do. Development. Development in college, and then, of course, Kelsey developed very well at Cincinnati. He had a really good career, and then obviously what he's done in the NFL is just incredible. He's, you know, a receiver weapon with receiver numbers and um, at, at the tight end position that in this age of re-identifying the Y-flex and how you play guys, yeah. he's just as, he may go down as maybe the best ever. And that's that's a perfect example, John, what you're talking about is development, development of players. Absolutely. You take Mahomes and put him. In other situations, uh, yeah, it's not as good. I mean, I think that that has a lot to do with, with a lot of quarterbacks that are not developed. And, again, it's coaching, but it's the player, and it's the player's passion for learning. You know, everybody's going to tell you they love football and they're going to work hard, but it's the proof is in the pudding how hard you work and how, how mentally tough you are to deal with the criticism, the negativity, you know, the face of all of that, can you come back from that? That's injuries. All of those things are really important.
2: Chris, you've already given us a half an hour. So I'm just going to ask you one more question. Uh, it can be a quick answer. Andy Reid knows the Eagles. The Eagles know Andy Reid. Andy Reid, yeah, kind of knows Nick Sirianni. He interviewed him for a positional coach and said, nah, I'm going to give my guy David Culley the job. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of inbreeding here. Is there an advantage on either side? The fact that Andy knows the Eagles as an organization as well. The Eagles know Andy Reid as well as they do. Is there an uh, an advantage to be had with the knowledge of one another between these two
11: teams? No. The advantage is Philadelphia because they're the better team. They're more talented. Okay. You know, that's the advantage. Um, I would not count out Andy Reid. I would not count out Mahomes. I wouldn't count out Kelsey. um, But they're going to have to win, you know, with a lot of explosive plays. I do think this Kansas City team, and this is something that – so Kansas City is different than last year. team. it's different than the the teams of the past. They will focus more on the run. People will ask me all the time, how the hell is – Pardon my French, Kelsey get open all the time because they're willing to run more football. They they run more 12 personnel and 13 personnel. So that puts more linebackers on the field. So that creates mismatches for Kelsey. So and and if and if you you don't and you say we're going to cover him, they'll just run the football on you. In the past, they haven't. They can run the football on you. And so that's, you know, that's maybe the thing, but the Eagles are going to know that. They got all the tape. They got all the time and all the tape. they're going to know everything by the tape. They know the personnel. The advantage goes to the better team. Look, the Eagles are better. Doesn't mean they're going to win. You know, you can be the better team. You got to play better. You know, it it doesn't matter if you're great talent, if you don't play well. But it's going to be awfully tough for the Eagles not to play well because what they do is pretty consistent. I think the key, and this is not where you were going with it, I apologize, but I think this is important in the big scheme is, is, you know, Steve Spagnolo comes up with great defensive game plans. He did it in Super Bowls in the past against the Patriots, a great offense, but that's pass rush. Uh, pass rush, not going to get it done in this game. You better be able to stop that run, and can Spags do a good enough job to contain a little bit of his Eagles' run game? If they can't, it'll be a decisive win for the Eagles. Ooh, if they can, but- if they can, then it can be close, competitive, and then if it's close and competitive, well, yeah, you like the, the the Chiefs' chances. You know, maybe a lot, certainly a lot better with Mahomes and all that. But I think defensively, th- for Kansas City, that's the big challenge. Not so much the the Chiefs' offense, which is you know with, with their breads butter. We'll get out on that note. If they
2: can't stop the Eagles' run, it could be a uh, a big victory for the Eagles. Uh, yeah, that's what Eagle fans wanted to hear. Uh, Chris Landry, mostly thanks for the great football insight. Thanks for playing up to the crowd. At, uh, with your- well, I'm not. You know
11: me. I'm not no. playing it up because I, I at the it, I I think it was August or July. I can't remember. You know, I I I said it. You know, y'all were talking about this, and I'm like, you know, I don't see anybody in the NFC East. Being a real Super Bowl contender, so I mean, I don't just say it to, to a guy. I didn't see this happening the way it did. So I have seen it through the course of the season developing into it, but I didn't have any crystal ball saying, "Yeah, the Eagles going to the Super Bowl in August." I didn't see that. So, kudos to them. I, 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 I they proved it to me during the year. Check
2: out his website, LandryFootball.com. You get all his podcasts there, uh, Chris Landry. Thank you very much for hopping on with us. Enjoy the buildup to the Super Bowl and the game as well. We'll get you back on during the offseason, big guy.
11: Hey, you guys enjoy Jody. John, always a pleasure to be with you. Have a great two weeks. All the great fans. Enjoy it. Doesn't happen every year, so yes. enjoy it and uh, have yes. a lot of fun. You Thanks, guys, Chris. Great job. Thanks a bunch.
2: Our pleasure. That's Chris Landry uh, from LandryFootball.com. It was on 365. All right, right, a little late with Chris. You know what we got to do. Come back and put a ball on the show. Stay here.
5: Ambrosio doesn't need a special event to appreciate his customers. Jeff shows his appreciation to them every day of the year. Jeff makes sure to stock more new inventory than anyone and guarantees prices and payments that nobody can beat. There are so many reasons that thousands of customers know Jeff is the easy, friendly place to do business. More for their trades. No judgment zone for credit issues. The best, most reliable service department in the country. That's why I like Jeff, and I know you will too. Jeff will satisfy you every day. Jeff D'Ambrogio, Destination Downingtown, owner appreciation event.
7: Weather
6: forecasting is a team game.
7: We rely on each other every day, updating the models and passing along new critical information. We
6: have a team of five experienced meteorologists and a specialized weather
7: producer, Paul.
6: Say hi, Paul.
7: Sometimes what I see in the model, Cecily, could see something different.
6: That's when we come together as a team to make our most accurate prediction.
7: And all of this backed by more than 100 AccuWeather scientists. It's a team game.
6: And we have the best...
2: Well worth it when we get Chris Landry on. I just love talking football to that guy. I think he does an outstanding job. So we thank him for jumping in today. Hi Johnny Mac, you uh heading over to see the coach? Is it zooming today? Uh Zoom, uh Zoom
3: today. Zoom today with Nick Siriani. Uh, not gonna get uh on the field till later this week. Still don't have the schedule. You know how that works, Jody. Uh, but yeah you know you know when
2: media day is next week
3: uh well that's the nfl don't have the <laughs> eagles scheduled this week the nfl schedule yeah that's been out yeah, for the a nfl long time.
2: the eagles have to adhere to what the nfl yes. tells them yes. uh, the same way you guys have to adhere to what the eagles tell you yeah
3: yeah uh but yeah chris landry great uh, uh great information and uh you know he brought up a good point when we we're talking about jalen hurts and real quick to put a bow on that a lot of teams, I should have brought this up. A lot of teams don't want to run that type of offense. Right. And that pushes them down the board right there. So a lot of them aren't, aren't even open to it. So uh, and all all these little intricacies have to do with it. And it's interesting to hear from somebody on the inside and, and how these things work.
2: All right. And since we're going to go over here a second, but this deserves a follow-up question. Who made that call? Because Jalen Hurts' relationship with the Eagles starts draft night. Howie Roseman, they're scouts. They like him. Doug Peterson involved. Uh, uh, yeah, how but, Howie it,
3: makes the call. Howie makes the all call. Right, so Howie I, makes the call with advisement from others. Yeah, Doug really liked Jalen Hurts. And uh, Howie, one thing about Howie, he listens to the coaching staff. So he's not a guy who... Like when Jim Schwartz was here, he got guys Jim Swartz wanted. When Jonathan Gannon is now here, you see it. He went out and got guys Jonathan Gannon wanted for his system. He's done that consistently, and that's how you should do it um, if you're a general manager. But ultimately, at the end of the day, how he makes the call.
2: Fair enough. All right, so when Doug Peterson is given his walking papers and the Eagles are – um talking to his potential replacements does Howie Roseman ask Nick Sirianni the question listen if we make it a head coach of the Eagles would you be willing to run a Jalen based offense oh
3: yeah oh yeah oh yeah um
1: so yeah. it's
2: Howie asking Sirianni here's what we see as a potential future for the Eagles because remember Sirianni got hired before Carson got traded. So if he had that much foresight to ask the Hurts question in advance, that that would be pretty damn impressive of Howie.
3: That's what I was about to say. It's more about asking the question about, you know, building around the talent because at that point, uh, look, again, it's hindsight to say the Eagles did not plan for Jalen Hurts to be the starting quarterback. Jalen Hurts got an opportunity out of necessity and the Eagles, and I said this on yesterday's show, and I know we're going late, and I'll try to uh, get this as quickly as possible. They wanted, they planned originally to roll it back with Doug Peterson and try it one more time with Carson Wentz. And Carson forced himself out, wouldn't consider it, um, and things shifted from there. But yeah, when you're interviewing guys, you, you make it very clear, you know, are you willing to, to build around uh, this player, that player, and, and both Carson and Jalen Hurts were in the mix at that point because the Eagles knew, even they were, though they were trying to repair the relationship, they knew there was a chance that they were moving on. So, yeah, I mean, and, and Nick Sirianni, uh, you know, proved that he could build an offense around Jalen Hurts, but also the Eagles were trying, and sorry, because this hurts a lot of people, they were trying to convince Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson Very to consider terrible. Philadelphia. No guarantee they could have gotten a deal done, but they were trying to get them to consider Philadelphia.
2: Jay mac good show today. Uh, I know we're already booked in tomorrow. We got Gil and uh, uh, Martin Frank. Martin Frank will be on tomorrow. So you guys want to be back here for another episode leading up to the Super Bowl. It'll be 11 days and counting with Mac and Mac here on Bird Street 65 in two and two
0: you've been listening to birds 365
1: who get it done.